I wonder if you know that the tradition in the Royal Navy is that they, their chaplains take on the rank of the person that they are talking with. So if they're talking to a rear admiral, then the chaplain is the equivalent of a rear admiral. If they're talking to the most junior of ratings, then they are the most junior of ratings. I don't think this is designed to give chaplains in the Royal Navy an identity crisis. It means that in a conversation, you don't need to worry about some of the usual protocols. The fact that juniors should always salute their senior officers. You can't sit down without permission of a senior. How should you address them and so on? Those sorts of hierarchical authority questions fade away because both people are deemed to carry the same rank. The focus can then all be on two human beings meeting together, talking, listening, sharing, seeking together faith, meaning, exploring questions and doubt. I start with that uh, illustration of chaplaincy from another world to my own, um, because it seems to me in the passage we had read from 1 Corinthians, that Paul too is wanting to relativize the authority questions that were around for the church in Corinth. Much of the first letter to Corinth involves Paul having to deal with the questions they have about the validity of, or otherwise, of his apostleship. It has to do with them comparing him uh, to some of the other apostles, and he has to justify his position. Specifically in chapter 9, where we were reading from, he addresses the issue of whether or not he should accept payment for his work amongst them, and uh, the preceding verses to where we picked up his argument, he, he uses all sorts of examples as to why it's perfectly legitimate for um, someone who is working on behalf of the gospel to be supported by the Christian community, but that he chooses not to take that support. So Paul is under scrutiny. What's his motivation for the work he does? You can almost hear the gossip amongst the Corinthian church. Does he know his own mind? Not least because he seems to be like one person in one situation and another in another? Does he just follow the latest fashion, blow with the wind? Has he any fixed principles for his behaviour? He carefully works his way through the argument in the opening part of the chapter. And then as conclusion, he moves into the more general statement about the rationale for his work. Where he says from verse 19, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might win some of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak so that I might win the weak. And then in verse 22, he says, I have become all things to all people, 
so that I might by all means save some. Now, actually, of course, we know that Paul was a Jew, he came from the Pharisee tradition. We also know he operated hand in hand with the Roman rulers of the day, traveling and hunting down Christians before he had his own encounter with the risen Christ. So he moved easily in the Jewish world and was a Jew. He moved easily in the Gentile world, but those who are not out uh, under the law, those outside the law in his uh, words here. Here, he is actually saying, yes, I change my approach depending who I'm with, so that I can get alongside them. But it seems to me he's saying this is not because he's unprincipled, not because he's weak-willed, not because he doesn't know who he is in the faith. He's clear, he knows what he is doing. He says very clearly that he is answerable to God in Christ. That's the law that he is under. But he is able to be flexible and apparently changeable because first and foremost, he holds a bigger picture. He repeatedly in this chapter talks about his concern is the gospel, the good news. And what is that good news? Well, it is that God is at work that God loves the world, that all humanity are created in God's image, that God has come close in the person of Jesus, whose life, death and resurrection see the ushering in of a new kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of love and joy and peace and hope, and it's an offer of fullness of life to everyone. That's what drives Paul, that's what motivates Paul, that's his own personal experience, and he has good news, a story to share. Indeed, he says, with that good news burning within him, woe is me if I do not share the good news. But he also understands that in sharing such good news, he needs to be alongside people in their particularity. To be alongside Jews and share his perspective, he needs to be as a Jew. To the outsiders, the Gentiles, he needs to come alongside them and understand their context. And to those weak in conscience, that's the sense of the Greek of that, those who um, are dithering and not sure which way to go, he needs not to come in with power and authority and overwhelm them. He needs to sit beside them in that gentle weakness. His attitude is one that takes the other person and their context absolutely seriously. He is not making them fodder for his own ends to kind of notch up another feather in his particular apostleship cap and say, look how many more people I've shared the good news with. He's taking them seriously in their particularity. Sharing of good news must always begin with listening understanding as so far as we are able before there's any sensitive sharing in ways that might be understood. So as I contemplate this passage, one of the lectionary readings for today, I, all sorts of echoes and resonances of chaplaincy abound. Yes, as 
head of faith and spirituality lead chaplain, I carry the faith tag when I introduce myself to anyone that we work with, anyone who comes and uses our services. It's clear that that's who and what I am, even if people have all sorts of very mixed ideas as to what that actually means that I do. But it's not about imposing me or my faith understanding or Methodism, because WLM is in the Methodist camp, or Baptist, because I'm an ordained Baptist minister, or even Christianity. I first and foremost want to listen to where people are. At the Catherine Price Hughes approved premises, where we welcome men as they come out of prison to live with us for up to three months, normally. I meet all of them within their first three weeks that at the moment has been via Zoom in order to keep the space as safe as possible. Um, we're building on the system that happens in prison. If, if you end up in prison, you will get a visit from the chaplaincy team within the first 24 hours of your time there to check out how you are, whether there are any faith needs um, and how your well-being is as well. So we build on that system at KPH and uh, as part of their induction, the staff there all the time book an appointment with the chaplain. So sometimes when I'm zooming in or sometimes when I used to visit and would arrive in the office, our staff team would say, oh, you're seeing so-and-so today. Um, he's not very keen on seeing you. Oh, that's fine, I, I get that. Um, but often, often it is possible to disarm people by just being honest and acknowledge that they don't want to see me. Actually, I have to say that the, one of the advantages of Zooming with the new uh, residents at KPH is uh, actually they're so taken by this communication via computer that they're kind of curious about that. And I've had a lot less sort of, uh, I don't really want to be here. But even so, sometimes it only takes a five minute chat for me to say what's available to them via us uh, from faith and spirituality and chaplaincy. But others, even though they've said to staff, oh, do I have to see her? We end up with quite a conversation, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Sometimes if I know I've got another appointment, I'm having to curtail the conversation and saying, well, let's book and meet again. And part of what happens is when I am honest with them and say, I realise you may not want to have met with me, you may be surprised there's a chaplain here, um, but my, the reason for our meeting is for me to tell you what's on offer, and then it's your choice. You don't actually have to see me ever again. There's a kind of sheepish grin goes across their face, as though I've read their minds. And that's when actually a conversation can open up and take a lot longer. Only last month, the staff member commented to me, I'm amazed he chatted to you for 20 minutes. He was so adamant he didn't want to see you. So part of getting alongside people might be well to well be acknowledging that you're the last person they think that they want to talk to. But one of the lines I will also use with them is that we try and take faith and spirituality seriously. However they see themselves, whether they identify as Muslim or Hindu or Jewish or Christian or atheist or don't know, but I think there's a God out there somewhere. 
we say we take that side of their lives as seriously as we take their need to find housing or sort out benefits or look for a job or whatever else it is. And we're there to walk with them through the big questions of life and death that all of us have to confront and find meaning. So for me, part of my listening role is precisely to listen to where people are at and say that they don't have to engage with me any further if they don't want to. I found myself trying to rewrite Paul's um, litany of how he becomes this for this group and that for the other. Um, and what that might sound like rewritten in the context of WLM services. Maybe I would need to write it like this. To one in the grip of addiction, I become as one in the grip of addiction. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean I go out and hit the bottle before going on a visit to one of our services or um, do drugs or anything. But it is about recognising that all of us can be tempted to be addicted. My own would probably be the TV and using that as a quick fix to unwind when my head is spinning or something. And then you think you'll just watch a programme for half an hour to unwind and then you sit there flicking through the channels and lo and behold, a couple of hours is gone. To the one facing relationship breakdown, I become as one in the grip of facing relationship breakdown. Because all of us have had that experience in our lives. To the one facing the reality of death and the loss of loved ones, I become as one facing the reality of death and the loss of loved ones, because of course I've known grief in my own life. It's not about bringing my stuff and then dumping it on them and telling them my story, but it is about me being aware that these common threads that connect us and our life experiences allow us to honour the other and the uniqueness of their lives and their story. And latterly, as I've listened to staff who've come back to work having had COVID, We've had 15 staff who've tested positive for COVID since the autumn. Um, thankfully, all of them are recovering, although for some it will take a while. But as I connect with them as they come back to work, it's often about listening to even when they had it only mildly, how they lay awake in the small hours of the night, worried, fearful, wondering if it would get worse. There's a role of being supportive and enabling people to name those fears, even when they have come out the other side. And if I think Paul's explanation for his uh, work and how he is with the Corinthian church has resonances with chaplaincy. Listening to Sue and her colleague Chloe talk about the personal transition service that they're now offering, this asset coaching, this coaching from a positive side of what have people brought and bring, where are their strengths? It seems to me that this too is about listening and taking people seriously, first and foremost, so that they can then identify the way they want to move forward and they can name the support that they might value in making that journey. 
I look forward to this service being rolled out across more of our different WLM services, the offer of coaching to people to take up so that they don't feel that they're just always asked, what are your problems when they come to us? But rather, who are you? And what do you want out of life? As a Christian organisation, I suggest that this bigger picture that we're holding on to in WLM is a vision of the kingdom of God coming here and now. We can't force people to change, but we can offer them good news and hope and offer support on the journey they want to take. But I would go further and say that Paul's seeking to listen to people and identify with them before he then shares the good news he has isn't just something for those of us who carry the religious chaplaincy tag, isn't just something for those working in WLM and the personal transition service um, holding on this big picture. It's a question for all of us who seek to be followers of Jesus. How do we truly listen to the other who comes across our path? How do we understand them? How do we talk in the church and the fellowship groups and the Zooms so that we get a sense of where people are at? And how do we then share the good news with integrity? Indeed, in a way, that's the central question, isn't it? How do we live with integrity as people of faith, as followers of Jesus? One answer, of course, is to learn from Jesus himself. Do you remember in our reading from Mark that Jesus has had a busy day? He heals Simon's mother-in-law. And that leads to a busy evening with the sick from all around being brought to him. But Jesus never makes it about himself. He specifically, we're told, forbids the demons to speak out and name him. And in the early morning, we are told, he creeps out and we find him alone and at prayer. For me, prayer is about being honestly in the presence of God. It's not necessarily about me heaping up at words that I then throw at God, but rather sitting consciously in the presence of God, who, if we will listen, will show us our motivations, show us our weaknesses and our strengths, and invite us further into his fullness. He'll cement his agenda of his kingdom in our hearts rather than our agenda of us and what we think should happen. His agenda where the last shall be first and all are welcomed at the banquet of life. How do we live with integrity as people of faith? Paul gave his answer. I give my answer as I go about in name of WLM, offering chaplaincy in our various services and to our staff team. But may God give all of us the vision of his kingdom, that we might be faithful in sharing the good news as we have received it. Amen. <laughs>